Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. You know how the game goes. You start everyone along the starting line. When you say green light, everyone moves towards the finish line. When you say red light, everyone must immediately stop. If players are still moving when you call a red light, they must go back to the starting line. And if you're thinking about playing this game in a real life scenario, it probably goes something like this. You're in a real hurry and hope that every intersection is cleared of traffic and a glowing green light is awaiting for you to pass through unobstructed. And every red light magically and hurriedly changes its tone so you don't have to even take your foot off the gas while crowds of people await for your royal highness to pass through the intersection. And let's not even get started about the yellow light, which in modern day traffic has changed its purpose from being a warning for slowing down to a welcoming for flooring it and speeding up. But here's the question. Why do we use those three colors? Have they always meant the same thing? And that's what we're here for, to answer the questions you may not have even asked yourself, and to do so in Missing Chapter fashion. Grab your coffees and let's add another chapter to the history textbooks. Welcome back, everybody. It is the Missing Chapter Podcast. You are here with Phil Horner and Phil Schaff. It is March when this particular issue will air, and we are looking at a decent amount of snow out the window, Phil, as we enjoy our Gettysburg The General Coffee. Um, it, it's been an interesting 2024 already. Already it has. You know, we, we've been fighting illnesses. You um, got your voice back, I have though. my voice back. So if you guys have been avid listeners, and, and since 2024... You know, we turned the page on the calendar. I, I did. I had laryngitis for an extended period of time, but it's finally back. You just got over an illness. Yeah. Um, but you know what? It, March gives you hope because nice. April next month could potentially, I mean, you could have a major storm or you could have 50, 60 degree weather out. Correct. So listen, there's hope at least. Um, Phil, you have some trivia for us later on too. Yeah, I do. Let's start there. Why not? Top three most listened states other than New York. Right. I think last time we did trivia was top three countries outside of the U.S. Correct. And you nailed all three. I did. And that was totally unscripted. So I'm going to see if I can keep that trend going after the break. Sounds good. Maybe I'll I'll try and come up with who I think uh, the top three states outside of New York with regards to listening um, are. But you have a great story for us today. I loved your intro. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, So it was one of those, those things, I think. A lot of our episodes lately have just, it's just been just basic curiosity. Yeah. You're sitting in a stoplight, you got nothing else to do. Why not think of the missing chapter? Think of a missing chapter idea, right? So I'm, I'm sitting at a red light uh, and I'm, I'm looking at the colors and I'm like, gosh, I wonder why red, why green, why yellow? Right. Well, hopefully we give you some answers here today. And you know what's crazy, Phil, is you said, well, I mean, there are countries that listen to us. There are states, you know, outside of New York. But it's so you, you go in a direction of a, a story that you find interesting. And in your research, you came across a local connection. It's local sure for us. Yes. Not intentional, but it's like, oh, my gosh, there's a local connection here that I think, you know, our New York um, listeners in particular might really be kind of uh, interested with. Especially with uh, with my family's history of that area of, the, of New York. I, I thought I should have known that. Mm-hmm. I, I went to school out there. 
Uh, we'll leave that for the listeners a little bit later on. But yeah, it was one of those things where I, I it kind of rekindled a memory because I right. feel like I've heard about it before, but never really. It's back. Yeah, it's back. All right, the mic is yours. All right, let's talk about it. Because of an increase in traffic on the road, the first traffic lights were built in the United States. Mm. Concerned about traffic accidents, towns and cities would construct traffic towers to to assist traffic flow. So directly from NYPD history, it's pretty cool. Uh, we'll have to post this in our link tree uh, on Instagram and maybe in Facebook. But um, some of the early pictures are, are really, really interesting. You, you don't picture a, a tower being on the side of a road. And you're like, what, what the heck is the tower standing there next to a, a skyscraper? Right. And it's for that purpose. So in the 1920s, Fifth Avenue, New York City was the first avenue to receive traffic towers in some sort of effort to control traffic. The original towers, built in 1922 specifically, were deemed too unsightly by the posh citizenry. I love that wording there. And funds were raised for new gleaming bronze towers. Traffic squad officers manned the towers and were on the street to coordinate with the tower men. Traffic whistle signals were an audible form of direction, which made me think immediately of uh, police officers controlling traffic, always blowing the whistle, trying to control you know, traffic one way or the other. And the concept of, quote, pedestrian safety islands were also introduced. So let me just read a couple snippets directly from this um, article. And this is, this is from 1924. Uh, let me see this in a recent find of a 1924 textbook of New York City schools. In 1924, there were seven traffic towers located on the north side of the intersections every eight blocks on busy 5th Ave from 57th to 14th Streets. Uh, each tower was manned by a member of the traffic squad. The north and south dating sides of the towers had red, green, and yellow lights operated by the operator. Much to our surprise, according to this article, the colors had a different meaning back then. Green equated to east-west traffic permitted. Now try hmm. to remember this as a, as a driver. Red flashing equals a changeover. A yellow light then flashed. Immediately following the yellow flash, the policemen on the street blew their whistles and the east-west traffic stopped. Then the north-south flowed. Telephones were used between towers to coordinate tie-ups. Safety islands in the middle of the intersections allowed pedestrians some protection, but traffic squad officers used whistles to communicate with vehicle operators and pedestrians, as well as officers uh, at other intersections as follows. One blast north-south flow, two blasts, east-west flow, three or more blasts, all stopped due to emergency vehicle approaching or other emergencies. Okay. My gosh, One, you would need like a cheat sheet on your on your dashboard for that. That is precisely <laughs> why I had to read it directly from yeah. the, the primary source here because there's no way I could have remembered all that in my notes. No. I mean, the simplicity of what we have today, obviously it took some ironing out. But even with like, I have to say, a blinking yellow light, um, a green arrow. Yeah. It adds a different element that if you're at all uh, distracted by what's going on with you, you really have to stop and think, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Whose right of way is it? And what does this do? Like a green light with still oncoming traffic means, yeah, you can go, but you have to yield to the oncoming correct. traffic. So like if you add layers of sounds, layers of different beat, uh, you know, cadences in the lighting, that would be super confusing. Unbelievable. Yeah. And then you gotta you got to wait for a whistle, and then right. one whistle, one blow, you know, then, then yeah. uh, oh, my God, east-west traffic, mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with a compass. Um, the other thing is, you know, they've added something in the past 
I don't know, a couple years is the yellow flashing arrow. Have you noticed that? I'm not sure if I have. In our Utica area, there's yellow flashing arrows now, which I think is brilliant because you'd be waiting for that, that green arrow for a long time at a heavy mm-hmm. traffic to intersection. But now you have the, the yellow arrow, which is like, hey, listen, if there's nothing coming, go ahead. No, but that makes me think of when, when there's a power outage. Everyone gets the yellow blinking one. Yeah. And it's pretty much at your discretion who's the safest to go. Utter chaos. That confuses people too, yeah. And then you just take it all away and add a uh, roundabout. There you go. Which I used to be a huge, I I used to, it really annoyed me. Yeah. But now that they've installed more in Albany, they they do kind of help. They do. I mean, people have to know how to use them. Yeah. Just like anything else. Just like what you're describing. There's a learning curve. Yeah. And it's usually left. True. You know. Yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. So in 1968, excuse me, pardon me, in 1868, from Washington State University, the first gas-lit traffic lights. Now. Gas-lit. Yes. Uh, they were installed outside of the Houses of Parliament in London, uh, proposed by British railway engineer J.P. Knight. It, the, the purpose of this was to control the traffic of horse carriages. Gas lights were manually controlled by a police officer using some sort of arm, hmm. all right? So almost like an extension you would see of, of uh, maybe in a church to, to extinguish some, okay. some right. candle, right. you know. Uh, this, one's, this one's tough for me. So at night, gaslit red and green lights were used, but still changed by a police officer. But here's the thing. Immediately as I was reading this, I said, all right, this has got to be some sort of safety hazard. Mm-hmm. Gaslit, right? And right. sure enough, it does. It becomes a safety hazard as they sometimes exploded and huh. injured police officers. So in 1912, traffic control device was placed on top of a tower in Paris at the Rue uh, and Grand Boulevard with a revolving four-sided metal box on top of a glass showcase where the word stop was painted in red and the word go was painted in, re- in white. So, I mean, that, that's my kind of sign. Yes. Right? Just give me a stop. Give me a yes. go. Don't give me signals. Don't give me smoke signals. So 1912... Um, as automobile traffic increased, American policeman Lester Wire designed the first electric traffic light. It was first installed in Cleveland, Ohio on August 5th, 1914 on the corner of 105th and Euclid Avenue. How about 1917? First interconnected traffic signal system in Salt Lake City. 1920, William Potts, a Detroit policeman, invented the first four-way and three-colored traffic lights. He introduced yellow to indicate a light that would soon change. Here we are, seems present day. Detroit became the first city to implement the four-way and three-colored traffic lights. Now, after the break, we'll talk a little bit more modern ideas starting in the 1950s, but you know, the whole idea though is obviously to make it easier for cars to stay safe, stay safe at ju- uh, junctions. But there are still numbers of, of traffic signal and pattern systems in existence around the country. At this time period, the Federal Highway Administration published what they would call the Manual on Consistent Traffic Control Devices, another complicated manuscript here in 1935. And it would, it would define the uniform standards for all road signs, pavement markings, traffic signals, mandating them to all employ red, yellow, and green light colors. Now, some would argue that the idea for traffic lights altogether was not proprietary. It did not come from cars. This entire time I've mentioned all the, all the history of the oh. traffic pattern. But the earliest traffic signals were actually designed not for cars, but for trains. They were red, 
green. They were gas-powered, and they were obviously a little more than dangerous mm-hmm. in the event of a leak, which we've already seen. But back then, though, red would symbolize danger in many of the cultures, obviously, which totally makes sense in my opinion. But not only is red for danger, but I immediately think you know blood, danger in general. It's also practical because it has the longest wavelength of any color on the visible spectrum, meaning you can see it from a greater distance than all the other colors. So in some of my research, is that the initial purpose for some of these train traffic signals? Hmm. I don't know. Uh, couldn't find any confirmation on that, but it, it, make seem, yeah. it seems so, yes. With the ironic exception of stop signs, not stop lights, just signs, more on that in a second, red has meant stop since long before cars existed with train signals, use of red dating back to the days when mechanical arms lifted and lowered to mm-hmm. indicate whether the rail was clear. Green's role in the lights have actually changed dramatically over time. Its wavelength is next to and shorter than yellow's on the visible spectrum, meaning it's still easier to see than any other color other than red and yellow. But back in the early days of railway lights, green originally meant caution, while all clear was clear or white. Trains would then, of course, take an, you know, a long time to stop and legend has it that several disastrous collisions happened after an engineer mistook stars in the night horizon for an all clear. No oh, jeez. So they wanted to get rid of the the uh, the white. So thus green became go, and railways used only green and red to signal trains. So <clears throat> I, this is a side note here. Have you noticed? Speaking of winter and the doldrums of winter, have you noticed a change in the snowplows, flashing lights? I noticed. Yesterday, following one in, that they flashed between, I want to say, there there were four lights flashing and they alternated between green and yellow. Yeah, I've never seen yeah, snowplows with green now. Right. So I started to wonder, because usually green means go, and then I'm, I'm seeing all these snowplows, especially on our New York State Yeah, throughway. it's funny you mention that, because I, I, I actually noticed it because it was different. Yeah, yeah. So I, I wondered it's if that was... all yellow. Yeah. I mean, maybe they knew that we were going to have an episode coming in March, and mm-hmm. they just wanted to add Makes some sense. elements. Yeah, sure. thank you to the Department Highway System. Yeah. Yes. So now for yellow. For the earliest days of morning up until uh, the mid-1900s, not all stop signs were red. Many were yellow, believe it or not, along with yield signs, because at night it was all but impossible to see a red stop sign in a poorly lit area. So the yellow stop sign craze began in Detroit in 1915, a city that five years later, installed its first electric traffic signal, which happened to include the very first amber traffic light. But what are those weird yellow stop signs, you asked? Mm. Well, as materials and and, and technologies evolved, the ability to produce highly reflective signs meant that red could resume its natural spot in the sign hierarchy, leaving the still highly visible yellow, it's second only to red in terms of visible wavelength, to the domain of caution. So that's why school zones and buses and crosswalks and other important warnings are still yellow today. But how about this? We get the colors, but why in the order of red at the top, yellow in the middle, and green at the bottom? So that's the question. And after the break, we'll talk about a local tie, as we mentioned at the very beginning, to one of the most historic pieces of Irish history located here in central New York and its connection to this very topic. Welcome back to the Missing Chapter Podcast, everybody. Phil Hornder here with Phil Schaff. Phil, something we should probably point out, and I'm guessing people are going to have to go to Google Images for this one. 
we have kind of, I mean, talking about the, the realm and the world of streetlights, um, kind of a unique streetlight located here in Kanajahari. And it's been kind of um, a, a topic of hot conversation and, and debate recently because it, a couple of years ago it was struck by a, a truck and since removed. And there's the, 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 the debate and the drive to bring it back, but it's referred to as a dummy light. And for those of our listeners, probably many, who have no idea what I'm talking about, Google image dummy light. It's a light that literally comes up from, from the ground and has four sides to it. So it's like a four-way stop, but you have the lights that you were describing in your story to it. And it kind of, it's, it's part roundabout yep. and part street light. And I think there are only, correct me if I'm wrong, two in the United States? I believe Three, so. Two? Yeah, we probably should have Googled this yeah. before. But, yeah, I think there's, I think there's maybe yeah. two. Yeah, and, and this was one of them. Right? This was so one of them. I think there's one left. Right. So we don't currently have it. Right. We, we've heard rumors of it coming back. But it is, it, it sounds silly, but it is very iconic to our village. It is. Yeah. And it's to been around a long time. To the point where a, a local diner is just... Um, you know, erected and said uh, they, they want to name the diner Keep Right. Right, right? Keep yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. And then the other thing that you brought up uh, kind of at the beginning of your podcast, uh, the trivia, which we always enjoy. Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me. So let's talk some missing chapter trivia. The question was, what were the top three most listened states other than New York? Mm-hmm. Phil, the mic okay. is yours. So I've been thinking about it while you've been doing your, your story. I think the easy one to go to... I'm going to say California, just for sheer size. That is number one. Number one. Number two, I have a couple of states I'm running through in my mind, and I'm going to try to choose from. Number two, I'm going to say Massachusetts. What the heck? Is that right? You're two for two. All right. Number three. And for the record, you and I did not discuss this. I I swear to you, I had no idea, and I did not look this up. There's no way you get this third one, though. So my third one, I have three options in my mind, and and I'm I'm going to kind of do this out loud so you know I'm not... I'm thinking between Virginia, Connecticut, because I have, I have family there, and Illinois for some reason. I'm going to go with Virginia. Uh, all right. What was the last one you just mentioned? Illinois. Why, Is it Illinois? Why Illinois? I, I, I don't know. I'm thinking Chicago. I'm thinking like large cities. I, I don't Is know. Is it Illinois? Why? Yes. Yeah, but I said Virginia. I'm giving you credit so, for that. Right. That is unbelievable. I Where's Virginia? Is, just, it, is that a top five? You think? We're going to have to go to the. I'm like so flabbergasted yeah. by what you just said. So let's go to the analytics and let's get you some answers here. But it is number one, uh, other than New York, it is in fact California, right? And we have some so, good friends that we've worked with we through sure webinars do. and, and yes. kind of you know joint projects out there. So yeah, we appreciate so them listening. Big shout out to Don McKinney. We're going to have yeah. Don McKinney back on. Her fifth yep. grade class was was awesome. Her fifth period class, I should say. So all right, let's go back. So we have Sacramento, California. Uh, as the number one city, um, and then L.A. would be the next one. But just for, oh, my, you are never going to believe this. So number one most listened state was New York. Number two is California. Number three, you said Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Spot on. All right, so number four would be Illinois. Number five is Virginia. Virginia. And number six Connecticut is Connecticut. Look at that. Are you kidding me? Just to finish off, let's go top ten. New Jersey, Texas, Michigan. Did I, is that 10? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 would be Oregon. Oregon? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. West Coast, I would, baby. See, there's one I would never yeah. have guessed. I, if listen, you, yeah. 
Every time we do missing chapter trivia, you, you blow my mind. So I like I'm it. Very it's fun. impressed. Let's keep doing that. I don't even know how to like. How do you transition back to? I'm so dumbfounded. You're gonna by find your... a way to do it though, because you were you were gonna tie in something local again, oh, and uh, talk a little bit more. You'd left off talking about trains a little bit. Yes, I did. Yep. Yeah. So let's let's go back a little bit. Let's start to the 1950s because I think that's really the era where we start talking modern traffic light. Uh, computerized detection was was first begun in the 1950s using traffic lights. A pressure plate, it's pretty cool, was placed at intersections so computers would know that a car was waiting at the red light. Um, hmm. Once again, pretty brilliant, especially for that time period. 1960s, computers are improving. They could monitor traffic and change lights in an even more efficient way. Then fast forward 30 years to the 1990s. The countdown timer was introduced to traffic lights to help pedestrians know whether they have enough time to cross, which is always a fun little game, you know what I mean? Um, 2010s, interesting little fact here. Connected vehicles can communicate with traffic signals and other vehicles. This can vastly improve speed, timing, and efficiency at intersections, perhaps as much as 40% uh, as more vehicles get connected, according to Washington State University research. I've always wondered that. Hmm. Because if, if I'm late and I leave my house in a panic and hurry, right. I gun it down the hill, I get to, let's see, I have to go through um, at least three or four stoplights. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering, as I'm leaving my house, wouldn't it be cool if my truck knew, hey, listen, you might as well just wait another minute because right. you're going to get to the bottom of the hill, you're going to hit that traffic light. Then the next traffic light, you're going to hit another one. You're going to hit another one. Or you could just wait a minute and hit all green. And you know what I've noticed is that Western Ave in Albany is a very busy street, but it's, it's one street light after the next. If I can go exactly 35 miles an hour, I tend to hit them all. And traffic allows me to. I go through all the green lights and save myself a That's exorbitant true. amount of time. That's so funny you said yeah. that because I remember, uh, you know, some of my friends in high school used to go from Little Falls to Herkimer to get to uh, to get some of the, the restaurants out there during our, our yeah. lunchtime. And we always used to talk about 37 miles an hour is the magic number. If you go through Herkimer at 37 miles an hour, it's all green. It's so true. And you feel good about it. Yeah, you like do. Like you run a race. and Little like victories. You, yeah, little yeah. victories, like precisely. All right, now this is really cool. Let's Before we get to the, the past and the local tie, I've got to talk about the future for a second. You know, a lot of talk about connected vehicles lately uh, in, in Motor Trend. Shout out to our friend Aaron Gold from Motor Trend Magazine. Um, AI-driven traffic control, how about mm. this, could lead to another color in the traffic signal, blue. Oh, boy. From the quote here, uh, speaking of, let's see, we need a new signal called blue phase, meaning you should follow the vehicle in front of you, says civil engineer and traffic control researcher Ali Hajabi. Explaining that connected vehicles can work better with a signal system to keep traffic moving while human drivers could follow them during the blue phase. So in the near future, beware, there's going to be another color on that palette of the traffic signal. And when you see it, you're going to think, hey, I knew this was coming. From the missing chapter. From the missing chapter. Yeah, there you go. Okay, before we leave everybody here, we got to talk about... Syracuse's most famous landmark, one of the most famous landmarks, the green on top of red traffic light at Tipperary Hill on the corner of Milton and Tompkins. For those of you that are in central New York and in Syracuse area, you know that as Tip Hill. Uh, so this is directly from Syracuse.com. They did an amazing job. We should have someone from Syracuse.com come on the, on the podcast, talk about this. Pat Ahern, a former leader in the local Irish community, told the Post Standard in 2005, that the traffic light has become, quote, a landmark for the Irish all over the world. For Ahern, the light represented the defiant spirit of the Irish, be it against British oppression, the potato famine, 
or the struggle of settling in a new land. So here's the story. The story begins more than 90 years ago in 1925. City alderman John Huckle Ryan asked that the new traffic light be put up uh, Tip Hill and have the green light on top, which would be a nice salute, a nice nod, paid homage to the Irish community. So after originally they agreed to it, the city officials reversed their decision and installed the light with green at the bottom. And they did not realize the anger that they were creating when, when this happened. So former Onondaga County Sheriff John Dillon said in 1997, quote, for everybody else in the world, red meant, top, excuse me, red meant stop and green meant go. But here it meant England's red over Ireland's green. And that did not go at all. So about a dozen local boys, once they installed the red on top, green at the bottom, a bunch of local boys started hurling stones dubbed Irish confetti. Mm. I like that little twist. Uh, to break the red light. The city would come, they would fix the light, but the next day it'd be smashed again. And the joke around the neighborhood was that leprechauns were doing the work. It wasn't us. <laughs> Find the leprechaun. I love it. So one of the last surviving stone throwers, a guy by the name of Gene Thompson, told the Post Standard in 1996 that the city became frustrated and let the corner go for weeks without any light whatsoever, hoping the boys would you know, eventually forget. But when the new red light went up, once again, inevitably smashed. Bob Gilmartin told Sean Kirst in 2005 that the boys might not have stopped with breaking glass. His grandfather ran a store at the intersection where the stone throwers met. According to Gil Martin, the youths also targeted trolley cars passing near the store and found a way to push the cars off the tracks as another way to force the city to put green back on top. Not going to stop the Irish, right? So eventually the city relented um, and Tip Hill received the nation's only traffic light where green is on top of red. And the kids were exonerated by Mayor Tom Young. And although some were hesitant to acknowledge their role in interviews with the newspaper over the years, nearly all of their obituaries mentioned being members of the Stone Throwers. So in 1996, a monument to the Stone Throwers was installed on Tip Hill. The life-size statue of an Irish immigrant family depicts the father of the family explaining the significance of the traffic light, passing on yet another chapter. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, I'm Phil Horander, and I'm Phil Schaff. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.